This is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we try to unjumble an important and sometimes under-the-radar statewide story that affects you. I'm Shayna Roth. Every week has been a busy time in the state legislature, but this week, probably even more so as the House and Senate work to pass a whole lot of bills ahead of the November election, including a budget package that caused some infighting in the GOP. Here with me today is someone with lots of experience walking the floors of the State House, Gongwer Managing Editor Alethea Kasman. Allie, welcome back to Mishmash. Thanks, Shana. I'm really happy to be here with you today. Let's dig into the quitting that took this story to a whole nother level. Representative Thomas Albert, who's a Republican from Lowell, was chair of the House Appropriations Committee. That's the House's main spending committee. And he stepped down this week. What happened? Yeah, so this was uh, this is definitely a pretty shocking development. You know, the House Appropriations Chair is one of you know the most powerful positions in leadership, and he decided yesterday at the end of a committee there was a committee meeting, and he announced at the end that he was resigning from his post. Basically, he didn't agree with the spending that the legislature was getting ready to to finalize yesterday. So. You know, he wasn't negotiating that bill. That was pretty well known that the House Speaker kind of took over that role because earlier in September, Representative Albert said, you know, we shouldn't spend any more of our money. We have a $7 billion surplus. I'm concerned about an economic downturn. We should hold on to this just in case we need it to fulfill our commitments um, in the future. So, you know, he I had heard that he was okay with this negotiations going on. He was probably going to vote no on the spending bill. Apparently he wasn't as okay with it. And he decided, you know, I'm going to step down. The appropriations chair should be more in line with leadership. Um, And he left and he's not in that role anymore. You mentioned it a little bit, but walk us through a little bit. What is the controversy here that is so bad that the chair decided to step down? And also, as I think you alluded to, uh, quite a few Republicans voted no on these huge spending bills. Yeah, so I think there are two kinds of schools of thought here. So you have people like Representative Albert. He, you know, was concerned about inflation and a global recession, you know, that could be caused by the amount of inflation that we're seeing right now. He is very concerned about the amount of government spending, particularly from the federal government that has trickled down. That is a key reason why we have so much money in our uh, state coffers right now is because of federal, you know, COVID relief money that has been sent down to the states. Other people who voted no, this isn't really as surprising. You see this, you know, on every, you know, budget bill or supplemental bill. They just, they don't really agree with spending government money at all. Um, So you always have kind of the three to five people who are going to vote no on every, every spending bill. And this one in particular really circled around economic development. And there's several Republicans and Democrats who just don't really like economic development. They don't like the idea of the state giving millions of taxpayer dollars to a corporation or a company uh, that, you know, they think they're going to come to the state if they want to, regardless of if we offer an incentive package or, you know, use our money to kind of lure them here. We don't need to do that. Break down these budgets for us. What have they been able to accomplish? I mean, we're talking about more than a billion dollars in spending that a majority of Republicans and Democrats and the governor have agreed to spend. Yeah. And, you know, this was actually kind of a a smaller spending bill compared to what we've seen in supplementals in the last couple of years. Um, 
with the amount of money that we've had. So it was about a billion and really most of that, I think 846 million was this economic development fund that they created at the end of 2021. Um, you know, the, the whole goal of this fund is to incentivize really large projects. So we have, you know, GM has a few plants, one around Lansing that they used really, I think 600 million or something from this fund for earlier this year. So those are the kinds of projects they wanna bring. The 846 million, um, some of it was reauthorizing money that was left over in that fund, where at the end of the fiscal year, it would have lapsed into the general fund if they you know, hadn't reauthorized it. So adding about 600 million to it, but some of it is for sort of the economic development portion, like here's money, bring your project here. Some of it is for site development. So if you have a landfill or something else, there was an environmental disaster or something on a site, you wanna get it ready for development, this money would go toward Let's get this ready for you so you don't have to, you know, spend millions just to get your project off the ground. Talk about the smaller amounts that were spent. There was some mental health treatment, childcare. Walk us through some of those lower dollar amounts. Yeah, so lower dollar amounts were also in this, you know, lower dollar, you know, like 10 to 15 million. So still a lot of money <laughs> to, you know, you and me. Um, so there was money for, you know, mental health programs for first responders and things like that, some child care grants, some infrastructure grants. You know, another big thing that was in, you know, the spending bill that has gone kind of under the radar um, is 20 million to settle a case uh, dealing with the unemployment insurance agency from former Governor Rick Snyder's era. So there was a time when uh, the agency accused thousands of people of fraud and it turned out they were wrong. Uh, these people did not commit fraud, but they had to pay back tons of money. You know, you have to pay back your benefits plus benefit or plus interest and penalties. And it's just a ton of money. They were garnishing wages. I mean, people got divorced, people filed bankruptcy. Like it really affected people's lives. And this case has been working its way through the process. Um, and finally, it seems there is going to be a settlement. Um, this $20 million payment is going to be used, you know, to potentially settle this case and, and get these people some money. Let's dig some more into what the legislature has been doing and all of these other bills that they've passed this week. There was an agreement between both chambers and the governor on election rules. Walk us through what's going on there. So in 2020, the legislature allowed clerks to pre-process absentee ballots for one day before the election. So this, you know, lets them open up, you know, an envelope, kind of get things ready to count, moves the whole process faster. And ever since then, they've been talking about doing it again for the next election and finally did it a couple of weeks before. So the agreement was two days of pre-processing plus, you know, some election security measures, things like Dropbox monitoring, uh, allowing inspectors and challengers to be present at the pre-processing boards when they're doing this. And then some other things sort of outside of election security that, you know, are just kind of things that various lawmakers wanted, allowing uh, different ways for voters overseas, military voters to send in um, their ballots and expanding polling locations has been a big concern of clerks. Uh, schools and churches are a little bit more hesitant to, you know, open their doors for on, on election day. So uh, they passed a bill that would allow certain private venues to, you know, serve as a polling place if necessary in a community. So this is something that clerks have really been 
pushing for these tools to help them essentially get a jump start on ballot counting ahead of what is expected to be a very high turnout election. And honestly, it feels like from here on out, pretty much every election, be it midterm or general, it, it, there's going to be that high turnout. People are just more involved. So what are opponents saying about these bills? So I would say that those, you know, who are opposed to the pre-processing are generally kind of opposed to absentee voting. Uh, you know, the, this is a lot. The opposition, I think, is really coming from sort of the uh, election misinformation camp. These bills really overwhelmingly passed the legislature. I think there were five no votes in the House and one in the Senate uh, for the pre-processing bill. So, I mean, opponents are kind of like, we don't like absentee voting. You should only vote in person. But, you know, that's not our laws. No reason absentee voting is allowed in our Constitution after voters approved it in 2018. So this is, you know, this is here to stay. And clerks are arguing so pre-processing should be here to stay. You know, in, in 2020, we saw sort of this, this misinformation take hold in part because you had a president at the time who was criticizing absentee voting. He said, you know, I'm winning when I go to bed. When I woke up, I wasn't. And part of that is because absentee votes are counted last. And absentee votes we've seen are clearly skewing kind of more dem. So you saw conservatives seem like they're up really high and then it evens out as absentee ballots are counted. So I think there's some hope, you know, that this will sort of help even that out, get results out a little bit faster. So there's just not as much room uh, for people to you know, try to make up stories or poke holes in in results and what they might look like um, as votes are rolling in. Those are two of the more high profile uh, legislative packages that passed this week. But there was also, a, you know, a light flurry of other bills going on. What else have lawmakers been working on that maybe people might have missed or a lot of people are sleeping on? You know, this was a long session day yesterday. The The House was in until 10-ish. Uh, I think the Senate was in until eight or nine. So they, they still did, you know, quite a bit outside of these, these big packages. Um, okay, so the House did something, um, passed some bills dealing with a program called Michigan Reconnect. So this is some, a big thing for Governor Whitmer, and it's a bipartisan program to help um, you know, older students, older than 25, get back to community college and get a degree or certificate. So they passed some bills revamping that. You know, this is something that we could see kind of get its final push in lame duck. This is not something that got final passage. Um, and the, so they're really setting themselves up, I think, for, you know, the legislative agenda after the election. So we're probably not voting again until after um, after November. And in the, the Senate, similarly, moved some bills dealing with moving the, the primary election from August to June, which that would be a huge change. It's something clerks want, but there's some disagreement from like school groups that have millages come up in August a lot. And then they also are still working on this short-term rental, so Airbnb legislation. There's some disagreement between, you know, local governments and the legislature on this. Um, you know, local governments want to be able to regulate and limit Airbnbs. They have concerns about its effect on housing and especially in tourist areas where people who live there might not be able to afford housing. So the Senate is sort of teeing up that bill for final agreement um, potentially in December. So those were some of the, the odds and ends that, that moved yesterday that aren't you know these big ticket items uh, like the supplemental and the election stuff. 
There was also some not very surprising drama regarding abortion this week. House Republicans unsuccessfully tried to override Governor Whitmer's veto of anti-abortion funding in the most recent budget, and Democrats tried to tie bar the budget bills to a repeal of the abortion ban, that very old uh, statute banning abortion that is currently being contested in the courts. This obviously didn't work, but Alethea, walk us through what is going on with uh, with abortion and this sort of ongoing battle with this topic any way that they can find it. You know, we are getting close to an election, so there was some political posturing Shocking. happening during <laughs> happening during session yesterday, too. Uh, the, the Democrats were basically trying to tie bar, which they have been doing the last few sessions. Um, you know, for people who don't know what a tie bar is, it basically says if this bill passes, it can't take effect unless this other bill passes as well. So they're saying, you know, you want, you know, bill A, B, and C tie bar, this repeal of the abortion ban. So those two things need to take effect at the same time. They've been doing this for, you know, every session day for the last few months. Uh, and the House Republicans said yesterday, no, you're wasting our time. We're not even going to take this up. It was kind of a procedural, like, you know, pretty firm slap on the wrist, I would say. Um, and then Republicans, you know, put, you know, I was kind of surprised by this, they put some of their vulnerable members on record about abortion, you know, by trying to override a veto of some anti-abortion funding, you know, money for pregnancy centers, things like that, that the Republicans put in the most recent budget, the governor vetoed in, you know, like July, um, and they decided to take up an override last night at like 9 p.m. You need two thirds support for that. There was no way they were ever going to get it. I thought that was pretty interesting. You know, and Republicans also put Democrats on the record about sort of the issue of parents' rights within the Department of Education and also dealing with parental consent for non-emergency surgery. They last minute kind of put up two things dealing with that and took roll call votes. So there was definitely you know, some things that we might see in some political ads, either on our TVs or on Facebook or whatever in the, the next few weeks. The legislature is presumably closed until the election. You hinted at a couple of things that they're working on, that they're kind of setting up for when they come back after the election. What are you expecting? Give us a bit of a preview to the extent that you can, because a lot of it depends on who wins what. Uh, what do you think we can expect when they come back between you know, mid-November through the end of the year? You know, I think we'll still see a flurry of activity. Like you said, a lot of this kind of depends on what happens in the election. I think right now, most of us are probably thinking that Governor Whitmer, you know, wins re-election. But what the legislature does is still a very open question. Do Republicans keep full control? Do they lose a chamber? You know, certainly we saw you know, in the last couple of weeks between the pre-processing and the supplemental that the current leadership can work with Governor Whitmer. So I think we'll see, you know, maybe we'll see another supplemental, maybe we'll see a tax cut. Those things are certainly possible. I think the negotiations can happen, but also if, you know, the Democrats win the state Senate, but they don't win the House, they might think they have more leverage if they hold off on those things until the new session. If they win both chambers, you know, they might say, no, I'm not negotiating with Republicans on anything. You know, I'm going to wait until 2023 when we have complete control. So, you know, really a lot depends on the outcome of the legislative races. But I think we we saw yesterday that they can do quite a lot 
even in this divided government era. And I think they do want to work together to a certain extent. And I think we'll see some of that in November, but inside baseball, it won't be like 2018 lame duck. Here's hoping, because nobody wants to relive 2018 lame duck. <laughs> no one does. No one does. Alethea Kasbin is Gongwer's managing editor. Allie, thank you again so much for joining me on Mishmash. Thanks, Shana. 